Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here tonight with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. So it's a Brother, Brother podcast. Tonight, we're talking about music movies. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's talk about music movies. Podcast. Tonight is a brother brother podcast, me and Jeremy. But uh, tonight we're uh, looking back at some movies that we have uh, seen and liked or disliked in the past. Um, we're talking about, you know, movies about music. And I guess I'm reluctant to call it the rock movie, uh, which I probably would have called it, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago. But it's, it's sort of, <clears throat> I'm going to call it music movies instead. And, um, uh, just to be a little bit more inclusive. But, you know, the way I see it, there's an, a handful of different kinds of music movies. And, uh, I mean, Jerry, what, what do you think? Break it down. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, after talking about it a little bit, and I agree, I want to say VH1 Classic or somebody has coined the uh, Movies That Rock segment. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to avoid that. But, um, you know, we look at, like, sort of five types of music movies. You know, there's the classic concert film where... You know, you can enjoy a, carton, a concert, sorry, in the in your living room, and see uh, one of your favorite bands completely uh, rock out. There's the documentary, which is a favorite of ours on the Brother Pod. Um, I think we can pretty much walk, watch a documentary on paint drying as long as it has a good, you know, music bend. And then, uh, you know, there's sort of the narrative or the or the biopic film, which you know kind of takes a, a sort of true to life story and, and fictionalizes it. Um, in addition to that, you know, there's just movies that have, you know, sort of, uh, you know, are that are not, about music, yeah, or about that are the about music, and or that about are a band or about right a with fictional band. characters and, and fictional bands and fictional songs. So, you know, we're gonna do our best to kind of, I guess, navigate through the the weeds because there's a lot of shitty movies that are about music, and uh, pluck out some of our favorites in, in each of these categories. Um, one that I think is probably our least favorite category, mainly because we actually like to go out and see bands live, is is the old concert film. Well, I think it kind of came from um, you know the the inability of people to get out and see things live. I mean, there you know it was always a finite number of locations to tour. A finite you know that bands don't always get out to uh, you know accepting the right white stripes don't always get to northern Canada or whatever. Um, you know, and so it, there used to be a premium put on you know seeing a live performance in a movie theater, which you know. Um, I guess sort of. Are you talking you know, the laser light show of the seventies? No, not which I have. A, I have more than one that I have attended uh, reluctantly, but um, you know, no, just the concert movie, and and you know, there's a sort of artful concert movie, and there's the sort of you know, uh, well, actually, most of them are you know, pl- you know, pretty well planned. You know, unlike today when people can just hold a uh, iPhone above their head, um, you know, these things are are were generally pretty well planned out. 
um, the sound and the and the visual quality, you know, checked out. And you really only got them for major events or major bands. And, you know, that said, I mean, you know, the litany of concert films that sort of last into our memory uh, would definitely check those boxes. I mean, things like Monterey Pop and, and Woodstock and... Yeah, which were almost yeah. cultural events. I mean, I, I think like any <clears throat> sort of, uh, you know, at least... They're it's funny that you say that. Yeah, I mean, before you could YouTube these point. things and, and before you could uh, could sort of like on-demand these videos, I mean, I totally remember, you know, grabbing the VHS of Monterey and seeing, you know, Hendrix and The Who. And, and you know, it was kind of around that time you were getting into music, too, that these, these were important films. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, then there was things like The Last Waltz, which was a very well-planned final concert of the band with a lot of guest stars and Scorsese actually directed uh, The Last Waltz um, some more sort of haphazard stuff like Gimme Shelter which uh, you know was intended Happened to be to a film con- murder instead yeah, of a concert intended to be a concert <laughs> film and turned out to be more of a, a snuff film um, uh, that was well, can we go back to Last Waltz real quick yeah please. I've always sort of been curious about The Last Waltz in the sense that like it's a um, it's a movie like I remember pretty vividly from my childhood and, and you know like a lot of I guess kids your age were, were pretty into it um, and then obviously parents were all, you know, were baby boomers were into it. Was that like a theatrical release? Was that a big deal when it came out? I mean, was it yeah. a, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was a theatrical release. It was an album. It was a, you know, uh, for what, what amounted to at that point, a multimedia, um, sort of onslaught, but it was, uh, you know, it was well orchestrated. It was, it was not, it, you know, it was held in a theater that, that wasn't massive. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was planned to be um this thing that was a, a concert album you know live album and a, a feature film and it was you know it, it definitely did a theatrical release the funny thing about the last waltz is you know who was on the uh it's always funny to go back to things like woodstock monterey and the last waltz and, and see kind of who was very culturally relevant at the time and who wouldn't now make the cut and um you know, it always it always occurs to me that Shauna Na was at Woodstock and uh, right. Neil, Neil Diamond was in the last waltz. Neil <laughs> well, Diamond, who Neil I, Diamond's I pretty love. damn relevant. <laughs> yeah, no, I love Neil Diamond, but it's just a funny, you know, it wouldn't be the guy that when you think about Dylan and the band and Van Morrison and all these, you know, yeah, sort of... Yeah, Neil Young and... Yeah, that you would throw Neil Diamond on that list, but thank God they did. And then, you know, you graduate into, you know, the 80s and... and the the concert film was kind of a throwback at that point, but the one that really stood out, you know, above all in the eighties was Stop Making Sense, which was again done by Jonathan Demi. It was not um a hack director, it was a feature film director, again, who uh, you know, put together probably the most one of the most indelible concert uh films of all time. And I know it was a theatrical release because I saw it. Um, more theater. than once in the theater. <laughs> um, I remember the soundtrack uh, in our minivan for yeah. uh, most of my <laughs> elementary school years. Yeah, it's um, one of those ones now in retrospect that, like, you know, it, it, I find it, like, Nirvana Unplugged uh, became... Um, it was such, bigger than the Such albums. the signature. Yeah, yeah, they were so much <clears throat> the signature of those. Became the, the album that everybody um, seemed to have from that artist and it was it always kind of you know rubbed me the wrong way that the I thought I always thought it was the least of their albums and 
Well, it's a live album, you know, which is like, as we say, I mean, these are, we're trying to kind of pluck out some of our, our favorite concert films and some of the most important, but it's just like, you know, seeing a band live is totally different. And I think album cuts versus live albums are totally different. Um, Yeah, but I, and I think the Talking Heads, you know, uh, you know, definitely were a visual, you know, were a mixed media band. They were a, a very visual band, and, and yeah, and it was, was the age of video, music and, video as well. And then they also kind of brought some of that to the stage. I also think too. I mean, you have a director both in Scorsese and Demi who were big music fans. I mean, yeah, you I was know, when I was young and first seeing movies like Mean Streets and. Obviously, Goodfellas and things like that. I mean, the the soundtracks. The, those were the early days of like wanting to look up who who was on that soundtrack or what Stone song that was. And I think Demi, in the same way, was you know a Jersey boy who was uh, you know really into kind of cutting edge music and classic music, and and you know had bands like the Feelies in his movies, and and always had pretty rock and soundtracks. Always as well. had uh, live music in his movies which was interesting i mean you take a movie like something wild where the feelies are the are the band at the high school reunion which is kind of a funny in joke but you know um I for, i'll forget the actresses or singer's name but sister she's a reggae performer and she sings in the film and it's actually i believe over the closing credits you know something like um margo at the wedding uh right. uh she um no Rachel getting married. Sorry, I always get those yeah. two confused. Rachel getting married, where you know both Tony Adebempe from TV on the radio is plays the groom and he sings in it. Jonathan, um, I'm sorry, Robin Hitchcock uh, is like is the also, wedding band, right? Is the wedding band and also yeah. sings um, on you know within the the soundtrack of the film, not not. Um, the soundtrack album, but within the actual context of the film, he sings. Um, so Demi was always really funny and sneaky about getting people he liked into his own movies. Anyway, um, but any that's a long way around saying that uh, the concert movie used to be a big thing, isn't so much anymore, but then I think uh, one of our favorite artists, again, sort of... Yeah, another uh, throwback, really, if you think about it. to the mole. And um, Shut Up and Play the Hits, which is... Yeah, Will is... Loveless film, and... Uh... I actually, you and I went and saw that in Kendall Square in Cambridge, Mass. And I remember... It was was sold like concert tickets. Exactly. It only played one night, which was really funny because um, we attended it as if it were a concert. Totally. And And I remember even having some like thoughts of like, oh, I'm going to see a band I love's concert (laughs) in a movie theater. (laughs) And I do remember at one point, because there seemed to be, you know, probably it was like much like being in a concert line. Same crowd would have been there. Um, either you turning to me or me turning to you and be like, God, I hope nobody gets up and dances. <laughs> yeah, that happy cynical thought. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk documentary. It's a bigger bag, it's not the ego of a tiny baby. It's like a discipline without the discipline. 
Welcome back to the Brother Brother Pod, and today it's a Brother Brother Pod. Wyndham and I are talking music movies, um, you know, and, and kind of one of our favorite genres of music movies is documentaries. I think we were joking that there's just pretty much today with Amazon streaming, Netflix, um, Hulu, you can find a, a documentary on any band that ever was formed and most of them are pretty bad but um yeah. we will both sit through anything so um, yeah christian we, christian today pinged me and and he asked me something about uh a show on hgtv if i was familiar with a show on hgtv and the answer is no because my default time killing television viewing habit is to find anything uh, <laughs> any rock doc and watching it regardless of how badly made um, or obscure or distasteful or the, fact the band that is nobody in the band even is interviewed or or makes yeah. an appearance um, no live footage is allowed but still there's a story to be told yeah, I mean, we we I mean, let's hit you know we'll hit some of the the, the classics before we get into the the discount bin. But uh, you know, it's kind of you started with you know things like Don't Look Back. I mean, at least in the rock genre, it starts with things like Don't Look Back um, in the '60s. Uh, yeah, and I think just to hit on Don't Look Back for a minute, <clears throat> you know, that was sort of to me kind of like the uh, with D.A. Pennebreaker. The it was. It was a documentary, but it also kind of was a raw look at an artist. I mean, you know, a lot of people kind of got to see the the young, cocky, you know, to be frank, sort of asshole side of Bob Dylan, who was looked at as kind of a god as he was touring Europe and, and you know, kind of, uh, you know, in the height of his powers in, in the sort of mid-late 60s there. Um you know, there's there's some other really excellent documentaries on bands that we love, like West Way to the World, which I think is one of your favorites. When yeah, I love that. Well, uh, Filth and the Fury, both of I think uh, West Way to the World, I believe, is Don Letts, later a uh, producer and member of uh, Big Audio Dynamite, and Filth and the Fury was Julian Temple, I believe, yeah. who was making a documentary in real time about the Sex Pistols. Um, the band split up. Um, 
prematurely and he never released documentary went back years later put together you know cobbled together the the footage and wound up being a fantastic documentary um that i highly recommend but i you know the thing is i think it's funny as the concert film and the music doc um kind of fill different spaces in time i mean the concert film you know fed a uh um, a void in the world that was, you know, people being able to get out and see bands um, uh, when they weren't necessarily uh, proximate to, to where they'd be playing or if the band was not touring. Um, the documentary became a sort of staple of, you know, the 70s, 80s and later, really, I would say. Um, and um, turns out that we are, you know, if you're, if you've got Netflix and, and Amazon, you pretty much have an, you know, uh, inexhaustible um, pipeline to music documentaries. And I throw in YouTube as well, and I would highly recommend searching YouTube. But there's a lot of um, made for television and on the American side and the British side. Well, even um, the, you know, I think too, the best documentaries like Filth and the Fury and West Way of the World kind of bring to light things that you didn't really know. You know, I mean, for mm-hmm. instance, like, you know, I, I want to say that I kind of knew everything about the Sex Pistols considering I did a uh, eighth grade history report on <laughs> how they changed the music world. But, um, you know, the reality was, like, after watching that documentary, I, I kind of gained, like, a whole new respect for just how amazing they were and, and how important they were. Um, and well, I, I think, think it, too... I think, it, you're, you know, we were talking about... Um, potentially doing a segment, uh, you know, upcoming called, you know, 30, 40, 50, which will be our ages next year. Um, you know, it, it, it really does change, you know, the lens you see these through changes so dramatically, um, depending on the age. I mean, when I went to see something like Decline of Western Civilization, when it was out in the theaters in the early 80s, I mean, that changed my life. It, it really... Um, you know, it made me desperately feel like I was missing out on something by growing up where I grew up. But it also, you know, it, um, you know, really brought this stuff to my attention. Looking back at it now through the lens that I see it now, it's, you know, it's, it's really the story of, of some really, you know, it's a much sadder film than it was then. Then it was, you know, to me, to teenage me, it was aspirational for Christ's sake. You know, um, you know, and, and there is some great, you know, there's great footage, great music, great energy, all this stuff. It's a historical document, but you see somebody like Darby Crash, you know, now, and and it, it's a lot less appealing and a lot more um, fundamentally sad than it, you know, it was when it hit the, you know, sixteen, seventeen year old you. Well, I think to your point, there was there was kind of it was hard to get that stuff. You know, that wasn't mainstream. Uh, media, mainstream music, mainstream information. So, I mean, I, you know, if you had a cool video store that had kind of a cult section, you could get to see Decline. Um, I actually saw it in the theater. So it was, uh, again, an, a movie that I saw uh, multiple times in, a, in the movie theater. But I think I might have even seen it on re-release or it may have just taken a long time to come out because I don't think I saw it until 1984. Um in, and was and, that something you had to travel to see or go to like an art house theater or was it something Oh, absolutely. That was, yeah. yeah, it was at the Orson Welles in Cambridge, which yeah. which burned down shortly thereafter. <laughs> there was um, a riot I'm not connecting that. the two, but uh, <laughs> no, I, and I saw it on a uh, double feature with Liquid Sky, uh, a movie that we don't need to talk about right now. But, yeah, um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even know if I know what that is, but yeah. you sure that's not no. the acid you took the night you saw Decline? <laughs> <or was it? laughs> 
I uh, declined to answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I mean, there's yeah, also the the documentary that captures kind of, and I mean, not to jump off, but I mean, I guess there's like a couple of different documentaries. There's a documentary that sheds light on kind of a band that you know you you sort of love and and want to know more about but we're never quite as big or as, as popular or, or written about so documentaries like the big star documentary from Olivia Mori and um out of Austin you know which which kind of is a cult classic band and then you have documentaries I think that just happen to kind of be filming in real time, you know, just a, a really unique experience. And one that comes to mind is uh, I'm Trying to Break Your, Break Your Heart by Sam Jones, um, kind of about Wilco's making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, where, you know, you really had a band kind of at the, I guess, I don't know. I, I at the say, teetering point creatively and yeah, you know, sort and of mentally. the end of their rope <laughs> mentally and, and uh, you know, as a... And as internally. A, and in and, and its current line, you know. And, and it's, it's another movie that as much as I, like, was knocking going to see concert films and music films in the theater, that's one I saw in the theater as well, and I believe with you in Chicago. Yep. And Wilco's hometown. But, um, you know, again, another limited release type thing, and, and you know, it really kind of was you know, just luck of the draw where Sam Jones got to, A, see, you know, a band creatively push the boundaries, you know, at the same time dissolve kind of a longtime band member and then have the record label sort of hijack the album all within, you know, one documentary, which was really neat and cool I mean, certainly, you know, it's apples and oranges, but it's not too dissimilar. I mean, it's it's entirely apples and oranges, but, you know, uh, it's like the Males brothers, you know, shooting uh, Altamont. I mean, you you show up for a concert, you witness a murder. Right. Um, you know, you in this case, you show up for the recording of an album, you witness the, you know, um, breaking Passive point aggressive of a band. dissolve of Jay Bennett's career <laughs> yeah. with Wilco. Yeah, really. But I mean, it was it did become a story rather than just a yeah. documentation. Which is I, I you know those are the best kind um, of documentaries and and again you know there's a lot of made for TV stuff um, that we you know we've all seen um, I was a behind the music doc, uh, addict and a classic albums addict and a yeah you know anything great. anything you could possibly give me deeper insight I mean into. I have watched Sticks uh, behind the music more times than yeah. I want to admit you know because I will watch it. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I, this this addiction of mine and of music documentaries does definitely bleed into the places I, I wish it didn't. But I will watch a documentary about bands I can't stand. I mean, I've I've watched, uh, you know, the great. I watched um, What a Long Strange Trip, which is a fantastic documentary that came out last year on the Dead. Um, I've seen Rush's uh, document forty year anniversary documentary, which is very good. Um, I've seen. Uh, the Eagles four hour doc, yeah, which is well, fantastic. I mean, and the Eagles is a band, the as a band, I've claimed to hate most of my uh, you know adult life and teen life and uh, you know whatever. And that documentary actually made me realize like they're maybe I do kind of like the Eagles. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe I'm just forty one. They're the that was sort of the Merlot of music docs. It was uh, the Eagles are to that four-hour experience, what Merlot was to Sideways, where (laughs) everybody just knew they hated it or knew that they weren't supposed to have it. And then it was like, yeah, this is a little bit better than I thought. Merlot's back, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, there's also the Labor of Love doc, which, you know, I think, um, you know, like a lot of things, you know, podcasts and, and, 
um, other ventures, which are a lot of times begun and never finished. Um, in that, in you know, in this case, there's some you know there's some pretty substantial versions of this, which are low budget, um, what would seem to be minimal interest kinds of artists, like a, you know Daniel Johnson with the Devil and Daniel Johnson, or or the Dandies and and um, uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre with Dig, which is a fantastic film. Um, yeah, I mean, I think both too. Again, you, you know, obviously they're. You know, there has to be, there doesn't have to be, you know, for you or I, but for the most part, both those films really capture interesting subject matters where Daniel Johnston, um, an Austin, Texas sort of eccentric musician who really suffers from mental illness and kind of became the the sort of, um, you know, creme de la creme of, of indie rock in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, he was Yet, very briefly the toast of, of Yeah, everybody. New York and L.A. and, you know, um, you know, played with Sonic Youth and other bands and, and, you know, I think covered by Yola Tango and, and, you know, I don't think he was exploited necessarily, but you realize that this guy had some, you know, some serious problems that people were unaware of. And, um, it was a less benign, uh, Tommy Wiseau moment that's happening right now with the disaster artists where people are intrigued by this curiosity of a human being. And, uh, Daniel Johnson's case, I found it a little bit more invasive and a little bit more, um, nefarious. Uh, I'm not saying the intention was nefarious, but, um, it felt strange watching it, watching this guy really. Yeah. Famously, um, Kurt Cobain sporting the hi, how are you? You know, t-shirt on on Rolling Stone cover. Yep. Um, and it, you know, yeah, actually, absolutely coming unwound. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I think I like that documentary more than you, having lived in Austin and well, yeah, seen Daniel Johnston. Well, yeah, lived in Austin when he was around. Yep, quite a bit. But um, Dig is one, I think, that we both love and is just pure insanity with Anton Newcomb and um, the Dandy Warhols sort of, you know, battling, which, again, almost seems exploitive to some degree. You know, you always feel like the Warhols are in on the joke a little bit. And, uh and, you know, as Brian Jonestown Massacre, you know, comes on wound, but both bands were, you know, hugely hyped and, uh, you know, hugely pushed. By the- I mean, as much as I always refer to the Dandy Warhols as the band I hate to love because, you know, I like some of their songs, but I, I can't imagine, I, you know, I can't imagine that the uh, the glory of having their photo taken didn't supersede everything <laughs> when it came to the decision-making behind No, you know, I mean, and Dig is going to not help you not hate the personalities <laughs> in the Dandy Warhols, but they do have some great songs. Oh, yeah. And on the fantastic. flip side, you know, it might, um, you know, I remember, I remember having Brian Jonestown albums and not knowing kind of the, the full force behind that band. And, and you know, Newcomb is absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, very self-destructive, but it's a great documentary and it and kind of mirrors that, you know, being able to capture things unwind and, and having cameras on at the right time. Yeah. Well, I just want to name check a few. I mean, I don't want to go into listing, but I want to name check a few because I think two trends that are happening right now that I think are important and exciting are that, um, you know, there's uh, renewed uh, interest and money and talent that's being dedicated to the rock documentary. I think we saw it in the last few years with things like Sound City, um, Sound Breaking on PBS, 
uh, which was a fantastic eight-part documentary on the history of, of music production, or rock music production, essentially. Um, you know, some good theatrical features like The Wrecking Crew and 20 Feet from Stardom. And, um, you know, then also uh, HBO put a lot of money into The Defiant Ones, um, albeit, you know, the last you know, three five percent of it was an infomercial, which was a little bit irritating. But I thought that was a fantastic documentary, yeah, and we did a, a lot of fun. It. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch, and um, it was, uh, you know, I, I think it's proof positive what what uh, excellence can be had if you put a great director, an interesting subject matter, and um, some resources together to document what I think is an important story. So I think that was a lot of fun. Uh, the other trend, of course, being major directors going back, and some of them were the same ones, but going back into the um, you know music film kind of uh, genre, uh, of course, Scorsese going back and doing Shine a Light and the George Harrison documentary for HBO, Bogdanovich doing the Tom Petty documentary, which is particularly... Um, good to have now, uh, which is very thorough and, and really excellent. Uh, Eight Days a Week by Ron Howard, uh, which was done, I think, a year, maybe two ago. And, um, you know, even something like Made of Stone, the, the Stone Roses documentary, um, which was done by, you know, a British uh, feature filmmaker, uh, Shane, and uh, his name will escape me. But, um, it, you know, the, the, that kind of, you know, it's a kind of feature filmmaking, docu- you know, slash documentary film making that, that, you know, that makes you feel like you're, you're watching a, a movie, um, at the same time you're, you're getting to your fix of, of, um, trivial information <laughs> about, uh, rock musicians, which is the kind of thing that I compile and then start a podcast about with my brothers. So anyway, you want to take a quick break and come back and talk about some, uh, some other more, uh, narrative films? Let's do it. All right. back to the brother 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 pod Wyndham and I are continuing our conversation on music films and uh you know kind of one of the the other 
sort of genres we want to talk about were sort of the narrative or, or biopic film. So usually based on a, uh, a musician's life, but a fictionalized story or, or sort of uh, exaggerated storyline. So, you know, I think the number one narrative film or biopic, and, and I know one of Wyndham's favorites and one of my favorites would be, drum roll please. Well, I wanted to jump in and, and just to, Prolong the suspense. I uh, wanted to have to uh, keep my drum roll going this long. Yeah, Come you have on. to. Yeah, keep it going. Um, it'll go with the piano playing in my neighbor's <laughs> apartment. Um, but it, you know, there's been plenty of of biopics, music biopics. Obviously, you know Ray, and um, you know, there's been. Oh, we're talking uh, good biopics. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I know, but you know, we're talking. I'm talking about like you know, there's you know, obviously the James Brown Walk the line. biopic, Walk the Line. Um, you know, all sorts of things. Hustle um, and flow. That is fictional. No, I know, um, I'm kidding. <laughs> although it was, I liked it. It's a great um, movie. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's always the, you know, even going back to like Amadeus or bird or whatever, that's not particularly rock oriented. But, um, the thing that's, I find in the multiple Beatles fictional, you know, ones that have gone, but the, there, I wanted to key on two movies in particular, and you can resume the drum roll now, because they are starring the artist about a sort of fictionalized version of the artist's life, and they, why, you know, and they are platforms for their performance. And of course, I'm talking about Purple Rain and Eight Mile. Right. Um, you know, Purple Rain being, I think, you know, I think people were, I, well, I remember people being very, very surprised at how compelling a movie uh, viewing experience this was in 1984 when it was released, or I think it was 84, 85, when it was released, 84, when it was released, and it, um, you know, it, nobody had, everybody knew who Prince was, everybody knew the, you know, uh, character that he had embodied, the, um, you know, the sort of uh, physical and and, you know, audio uh, personality persona he took on which was you know really out there and outrageous for the time and you know very cool very sexy um very mysterious though and you know nobody had ever heard the guy talk really and so when purple rain came out and he starred in it and you were able to kind of see this guy's a lot less from outer space than you thought he'd be um, there was something really compelling about that, and there was you wanted to know more about this personality. And in fact, um, you know, only in retrospect can you look back and sort of reconcile the two uh, things that you had. One was the um, you know sort of fantastical version of what this you know we we, had, we thought he lived in a you know in a sex cave somewhere. <laughs> you know, it turns out he somewhere lived in, in frozen Minnesota. No, well, it turns out he lived in like you know Chanhassen, Minnesota. In a you know in a uh, subdivision somewhere, <laughs> um, he's not as insane and weird and and uh, but he was sexy. Um, well, and it was also you know such a powerhouse soundtrack slash yeah. album, and to have the movie be good. I mean, I think you kind of get one or the other a lot of times with these types of ventures, and it's a great soundtrack, shitty movie, or decent movie, bad soundtrack, or or they both suck. Um, which is actually probably more commonly the case. And, uh, you know, I think Purple Rain cemented itself with being, you know, a, a very good movie and, and, and an amazing five-star I mean, album. Yeah, I mean, that's my, that was one of my perfect albums when we did perfect albums. Yeah. Um, and I think Eight you know, Mile is an interesting one, too, that you bring up, because it was, you know, right off the, the heels of Eminem's breakout success, 
and again, it was, you know, I think Curtis Hansen directed it. Um, I want to say it was 2002. And I think a lot of people were really skeptical. Um, you had, you know, Eminem obviously starring as a struggling rapper in, in Eight Mile, the border of Detroit. Not, well, don't know my... a, you know, the Eight Mile is the sort of, the, the, the mile roads are, are the rate, you know, they're, they're beltways around the city. Yeah. And Eight Mile will be the one that's on the eighth mile. But it's, you know, it's part of Detroit. And it's, um, you know, it was uh, another one where, you know, this guy had a persona that he had created and it was, you know, and a visual that he uh, was very um, mindful of, of, you know, keeping consistent. Um, his back, you know, there was more known about his backstory. He was um, famously not very discreet about talking about his family and his upbringing and everything else and his music, but taking the guy seriously and wanting to see him on screen and his acting, I mean, it, it, much like Prince, it was it was pretty preposterous that you know this guy who oh, made was, a yeah, made a career totally, out of being a brat, totally um, skeptical, you know, especially yeah, I was gonna say especially after his sort of like kind of funny bratty, you know, um, <clears throat> albums which were great, you know, but it was, uh, but he you turned know, out to be a really no compelling one, presence, and I yeah. think those that's the thing is like both times there was this you know real skepticism about. You know, can this person carry a movie? And in both cases, they were very well acquitted. And, and in both cases, the soundtracks were fantastic. But yep, I think Eight Mile won an Oscar for uh, Lose This, right? Lose Yourself. It sure did. And actually, um, you know, I just wanted to touch quickly before we go to a break. And you know, when we hit the break, maybe we can listen to a little bit of Lose Yourself. But um, there's also movies based on albums, which. Um, we can revisit when we revisit uh, things from your childhood that scared the shit out of you that make you laugh now. Um, you know, Tommy, but can movies you like me? Tommy and, and Quadrophenia and The Wall and Rude Boy and things like that, where you know they were they were basically albums that yeah. inspired somebody to create a narrative, a nightmare story, <laughs> uh, generally filming. visually nightmarish. And um, you know, I don't want to. I think I think uh, how Tommy. How seeing Tommy too young uh, traumatized. I will say this about Tommy is there were certain things that I had locked in my brain, these certain visual images that I could not for the life of me figure out where the hell I'd seen them. Um, and, you know, they'd occur to me in a real snapshot, but then, you know, I couldn't put two and two together. And then I rewatched Tommy as a, probably in my early 20s, and I was like, oh shit, this is what I must have seen when yeah, I was Yeah, these were my nightmares <laughs> for the last 10 years. I mean, The Wall, too, and I'm not, neither of us are big Pink Floyd fans, but, you know, I mean, I was certainly of a ripe age to seeing, you know, children on a conveyor belt being dropped into a meat grinder, yeah. <laughs> you know, with sort of non-faces uh, scared the hell out of me, you know? Yeah, the, the wall was right at the cusp of my, uh, this would be so much better if we were baked. Um, <laughs> and then you got baked my, and realized it wasn't. <laughs> period of my like, junior high career. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, they're both pretty weird, bad movies, but they're both kind of great in their own way. I mean, the, the kind of, not to dwell on this, but we won't go too far into the, we, we won't get too stoned here and, and dwell, go too far into the laser light show. But like, um, you know, you just, you don't see the, uh, the sort of concept album being, you know, created into that sort of concert film. I mean, no. I guess that was sort of the height of it, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that somebody like My Chemical Romance didn't have a movie around, you know, the, the 
Black Parade or something, but um, you know Marilyn that's Manson. Marilyn Manson or somebody, yeah, somebody who's obviously you know, or you know, but I mean, I guess on the flip side, uh, uh, Trent Reznor has become a, a very, very highly sought after uh, sound, um, you know, s- scorer of films. So um, there you go. That would be the person I would have expected to have made a, a shitty uh, movie out of the downward spiral, but um, <laughs> you know, so be it. He now well, let's uh, get get stoned, take a break, and listen to the wall. What do you say? Awesome. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Again, tonight it's me and Jeremy talking about movies, um, and not with any real sort of uh, strong academic bent, more just uh, knee-jerk feelings of, of how these things hit us over the course of years and and what we think of them now. But, um, you know, uh, when I think back about movies and, and the things I uh, that were on TV when I was a kid, when there were a lot fewer choices and you actually had to stand up to change the channel, there's Elvis movies on all the time. Um, Sarah was a fan, our sister was a fan, and uh, I can't say I was, but when I started to, you know, graduate into the VHS era, um, you know, I was able to go back and watch things like A Hard Day's Night, which was, you know, pretty great. Um, some of my favorites over the years, I guess, uh, you know, things like, you know, Robert Altman's Nashville and, um, which is yeah. a sprawling, crazy oh, movie. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It, it takes a while to watch. But I, again, I think I did see that movie in the theater, which would have put me in in about seven, 
<laughs> so, which would have uh, meant that you yeah, uh, another thing I inappropriately taken <laughs> indelible uh, visual images that I couldn't reconnect until I saw the movie as a, as a you know later in my adult years. But um, I don't know. Um, Suburbia was one that always hit me, and I think it was one because I was. Um, and I don't know that, that many people know Suburbia. Maybe I do. Yeah, there you go. It's a cult classic '80s film about disenfranchised teens in, in Los Angeles. But you know, the thing that really struck me was bands like TSOL and the Vandals were in it. Flea was D. actually I. one of the actors yeah. uh, in there, and. Uh, I think maybe kind of like Decline, it was sort of a fictionalized version of Decline of Western Civilization in that scene, but it, it you know, always hit me when I was young. Um, there's been some really good movies about music as well, um, some of our favorites for sure. I mean, I think 24-Hour Party People, but really yeah, kind of that really is one my of our favorite scenes. That may be my favorite of all of them. Um, it had a lot of my favorite scenes, but it also, uh, you know, in the, I think the backstory of... of Seeing it was pretty funny as well, so um, I won't go too deep into it. But I, I did take eleven people from a halfway house at a rehab center to see twenty four. <laughs> it was a, a field trip to twenty four hour party. <laughs> Wyndham was doing some service work. Yeah, and was was <laughs> um, yeah. That's a true story. Um, and uh, but you know, movies like High Fidelity, where there's a through line yep. of of music, and and uh, I know you're a huge, almost famous fan. I'm 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 a little more on the fence than I used to. Yeah, be you know, it's it. funny. I watched it again on a plane recently, and I think it was one of those ones that hit me at the right age. Um, but yeah, I mean, Almost Famous is a fun movie, and it's it's a you know kind of a sweet take on rock and roll, and and has you know Lester Bangs yeah. and some classics in there, and and. Um, you know, I, I think that it uh, probably overrated in my head a little bit, but I no, I but it's it's fun know? and sentimental, yeah. and it's also it's a good solid movie, and, and one of the few movies I would have to say one of the few fictionalized movies that had a very very legitimately believable band. Yep, and music. absolutely. They did a great job. And actually, Peter Frampton, I think, was the, the band coach. Oh, was he with the yeah. music? Uh, yeah, music director on there. Yeah. Wow, that's um, great. School of that. Rock. School of Rock's really good. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, again, ones that are more fondly remembered than they should be, I would put singles in there. Uh, not yeah, a very good movie. Yeah, and that goes to kind of like good soundtrack, not good movie, by the same director, note, Cameron Crowe. Yeah, that's true. It's from famous. the Seattle trilogy. Yep. And um, I don't know. There was a, there was a bunch of, of attempts at it, and certainly music and, you know, movies have, have sort of melded together a little bit more, particularly in the sort of hip-hop era. I mean, there is, you know, music is such a uh, driving part of of current cinema that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to even delineate how you would, you know, break it out and, and make a, you know, movie about music as opposed to a movie that's just, uh, you know, half soundtrack, half narrative film. Um, but uh, I don't know. Straight uh, out of Compton being one. Oh yeah, Straight out of Compton was a great, but that was a fun biopic um, yeah. slash narrative uh, film. I really liked that. Um, that was again another one that I was very um, fearful would be done poorly, um, and turned out to be done really well. So anyway, that's that is such a small smattering, but um, you know we just wanted to talk about movies tonight, and then I think we're gonna uh, check out and. Um, you know, obviously, before we check out, we do the same thing every time uh, we end this show the same way we do always. And that's what are you listening to, Jer? So I have uh, I have just been kind of sucked into 
the absolute current and uh you know if anybody any of our fans are as big of football fans as we are it was uh obviously playoff weekend so i um i watched all the nfl games this weekend or not all of them i got to see as, as much as i could and i've been kind of obsessed with uh, i'm a big fan of the the ringer podcast and the the NFL show with Mike Lombardi is, uh, you know, one of my favorites, or GM Corner, I believe it's called, and, and so I, uh, I was excited to hear those guys recap, and then also I'm a big fan of the Bill Simmons podcast, and so he and Cousin Sal today went over the, the Minnesota miracle, for those of you that didn't see it, and, uh, you know, Blake Bortles coming to New England, our uh, our hometown team win, so I've, I've you know, nothing... Too exciting, but, uh, you know, I've been kind of reliving the magic of the weekend through podcasts. Nice. Well, um, I saw a movie on Amazon, I believe, the other day, a movie I'd read about and heard about over the last couple of years called American Honey. I uh, finally got around to watching it. It's, I guess its name, in you know, its, its token star would be Shia LaBeouf, who I've historically not been terribly fond of, but it's a really good movie. Um and I think it, you know, sort of a little bit less uh, abrasive and hardcore than something like Kids Are Bully, but it had that same kind of flavor of, of uh, um, you know, kids that have been neglected and are now on their own, uh, you know, sort of coming together yeah, and uh, for better or worse, um, making bad decisions. But it was a pretty uh, solid uh, depiction Um you know, and it, it didn't make a ton of mistakes. It's well, the one mistake is that it's far too long, but um, you know, it, it's just a, it felt like a really realistic portrait, almost like a Sean Baker esque kind of uh, realistic portrait of of you know abandoned teens. Um, so I would recommend it. Check it out. And then uh, you want to uh, add a song to the um, four hundred trillion and sixteen all time best songs. I'm happy to add 400 and <laughs> 400 trillion and 17 here coming up. So um, I'm going to go with Such Great Heights by the Postal Service. Oh, nice. Good call. And I am going to go with a song that I thought we put on the first week, which is More Than a Feeling by Boston. Nice. I'm trying to lard up this thing with some a little bit of classic rock before I jump back into the obscure shit. So anyway, um, good talking movies with you. And, uh, yeah. I will uh, catch up with you this week. I think you, me, and Christian are actually going to be in the same place at the same time for the third time ever. Maybe we should try and record a pod. I think we should. Thanks. Talk to you soon. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.